Hello everyone and welcome to Now You're Playing With Power, a Nintendo podcast. My name is NBZ and I'm a Xenobladeaholic. <laughs> I have a problem, I have trouble, and uh, my counsellor is here to assist me. His name is Bali. Bali, welcome to the show. Stop playing Xenoblade, you're done. It's all over. No, it it's will be bad, all over. bad for your health. It probably is, to be honest, but you know what? I can take it, because I'm enjoying it that much. Anyway, uh, this is a podcast all about Nintendo games and video games in general, all that chit-chat, and uh, we have uh, such a show for you today. So, without further ado, Bally, why don't you line up what we got coming up in the next uh, hour and a half or so. So, we're going to talk to you guys a bit about what we've been playing as usual, then we're going to get on to some emails, and then we are going to finish off the show with a topic that is quite hot right now it's quite it's quite feisty it's it's <laughs> it's it's what's the word it, it it's it's the it's the news this so we're going to talk about women in gaming yes and so that's both outside the video games so the journalists the developers the external side and then obviously female characters in video games it's a meaty topic, and we shall bring our perspective as much as we can, being two guys. Hopefully, <laughs> uh, get a, a good debate on the go. Yeah, we'll we'll, we'll see uh, how that rolls up. So uh, that is uh, basically the outline of what we're going to be uh, talking about. But uh, before we uh, you know get into our feature topic and emails, we are going to kick it off with the stuff that we've been playing in the last couple of weeks. So, Bali, what is it that you have been digging your teeth into? I have been playing probably. The best Wii game I have ever played, and that is... Wow, it's actually in that kind of echelon. Yes, it is right up there, certainly if it is not the best game. Um, I'd, I'd struggle to think of what I prefer to it, to be honest. And that game is Super Mario Galaxy 2. Yes, indeed. And... Sorry, I'm, I'm a bit distracted. My dog is running around my room and <laughs> being a right pain in the ass. Bertie! Right, Anyway, okay, yeah, so his name's Bertie, by the way, in case <laughs> you're wondering. Um, so yeah, I've been playing Mario Galaxy 2, and wow, that is a beautiful game. It is, I have so few flaws with the game. Um, if I were to pick out a few, it would be that on very, very small planets that you're platforming on similar to galaxy one it can all sometimes get a bit bit awkward with the analog stick especially when you're walking upside down and stuff and stuff like that so that's one that's one little niggle i have with the game but overall i feel like they added enough new content to this game it wasn't just like oh here we'll just churn out some more mario galaxy levels that we had in stock it feels like they pushed far harder than that and they said right we'll introduce yoshi on top of that yoshi has unique power-ups that add a lot to the game i would say and overall it's just so much extra content so well polished um real improvement on the first game um i i couldn't be much happier with it to be honest yeah, I mean, for me, it is one of those seminal games of last generation. And I think definitely the impact was not as great because the initial, you know, the first Galaxy game was so different and so crazy. It's something you'd never seen before. And it really redefined the 3D platformer. This, of course, can't have the same impact because you've already had that with the first one. But in terms of actual design and, you know, levels and ideas and creativity, I think it's twice or three times as good as the original game is 
Um, yeah, I'd agree. I think you can't recreate that initial impact Galaxy had. Um, there are very few games I think have ever done that for me, um, if to anyone really. I think that Galaxy 1 was just such a a, a staple in, um, in Nintendo history as to yeah. like... Um, how to do a 3D platformer at a time when 3D platformers were few and far between. And they still are, to be honest, I think. Yeah, I mean, Nintendo are really the only company that still make them. Uh, I I mean, there are some kind of character... I mean, the thing is, after that kind of PlayStation era and 64 era, the character platformer, the character action game kind of started to die out. You know, your Spyros and Crash Bandicoots were getting replaced by more generic, you know, human characters who were part of more, you know, shooter-type series and that sort of thing. Um, and Nintendo yeah. are really the only company still going on that sort of uh, line, so... yeah. Um, but yeah, um, I mean, Galaxy 2, I think, is slightly more challenging than Galaxy 1. I don't know mm. if you would agree. I, I think there are definitely parts which are. Uh, I would say that the back end of Galaxy 1 has stars which are very difficult, like infuriating purple coin missions. I, I think the one, the big one is like the pixelated Luigi where you're on a time limit and all the goop is below you and there are the spinning platforms and the platforms that disappear and you have to get 100 purple coins and make sure that you plan your route so that you have a way to come back to the beginning to get the star. I... That was a really tough level and that, that kind of encapsulates yeah. the end game of Galaxy 1 for me. I... See, they actually recreate that level in Galaxy 2. They slightly oh, change it. Oh, I can't remember it. that yeah. they did that. No, there is a level, and it, they do a Mario, and then they do a Luigi where you're jumping on their pixels sort of thing. Right. And I actually find that that level okay. Um, some Maybe I've just improved a lot as a gamer since Galaxy 1, but I actually found maybe just a handful of about five, six stars, no more than that, that would like genuinely... This is like really, really, really tough kind of using up maybe over 10, 15 to 20 lives sometimes. Um, But but having said that, the very, very final stage, which is called like, what's it called? It's got, it's got a clever name. It's got a a pun. It's like a pun. Yeah. It's it's, flip out. Right. Flip, Flip out. State? I can't remember, but you're whenever you spin jump, the blue and red platforms disappear and reappear. So red will be out. You spin jump, the blue fat platforms appear. It's similar to the um, to the the flip switches. Right. I'm explaining this really badly. As per, it's like a staple of it. now you're playing with powers. <laughs> how badly I explain concepts. But yeah, so it's actual whole segments of wall that are coming out that you have to spin jump to get them to come out, and and your and platform, your wall jumping your wall between jumping, them. Yeah, exactly. And it's it's definitely my favorite level in the game. Actually, um, I I love the idea that it's not just platforming skill; it's actual intelligence and thinking. Right. What do I What do I need to do? Um, how do I How do I factor this in to have the red and blue platforms? And just it's not because you could be the best platform in the world and still you, there's extra stuff to think about, which is which is nice. And because you're shaking rather than pressing any button to get the um, the red and blue platforms to come in and out, it feels quite natural. It's kind of like right. Everything I do to control Mario is is controlled using the buttons and anything right. i do to control the stage is used to swing with my arms so yeah. it kind of feels intuitive and, and and natural yeah that's that 
I really found that stage super tough, but it was also extremely creative and rewarding once you're able to get through it. Um, so I definitely see where you're coming from there. In terms of comparing this game to, of course, EAD Tokyo's most recent outing with Super Mario 3D World, you know, I had the um, perspective of already having played Galaxy 1 and 2, and so when I got to 3D World, I wasn't as impressed by it, by the kind of things that maybe uh, stood out a bit more to you. Would you say that 3D World would have impressed you less had you played Galaxy 2 before it? Yeah, I think uh, 3D World would have impressed me less because I think the, the it is such a gap. I mean, I'd even consider probably to some degree Galaxy One being better than 3D World, and then for Galaxy Two to then take Galaxy One so much further, it's it kind of makes you th- realize just how much of a safe bet and how boring in some respects 3D World was. I mean, at the time, and you can hear me on the podcast being very, very, very positive about 3D World. Um, I, I don't know why I was so positive. I mean, I guess it was, like I've just said, because I'd not played Galaxy 2 yet, but this game is just better in almost every way. Yeah. Um, uh, I mean, graphically... 3D World is the best because it's obviously HD. But sure. I mean, if if a Galaxy game was ever made in HD, which I'm sure they will be one day, it's just going to blow it out of the water because that's the what, probably the only area um, where maybe falls short of uh, 3D World. But having said that, I think 3D World is perhaps got more tougher levels than Galaxy 2? I'm not sure. Mm. And I mean, none of, they all pale in comparison compared to uh, Sunshine. Sure. So, I mean, in generally, right? But like, yeah. I think the thing with the Galaxy games and with, you know, the EAD Tokyo Mario games in general is that, you know, it starts off pretty easy, then you have the second half, which really ramps things and, and makes it quite tough and then of course you have the the grand finale the impossible star as it were at the end of each game (laughs) which is like ridiculously difficult and eclipses a lot of things i think in game like sunshine um so so yeah i think that's generally how it falls uh in terms of like how the levels are laid out and and kind of the map it's very different in galaxy 2 because you're just on this mario's face like this planet the singular planet and um, it's not like the spaceship or the yeah. original game. So how do you feel about that? Because there, there are a lot more levels, a lot more different areas in Galaxy 2, whereas Galaxy 1 was more following the 64 and Sunshine model where you jump into a world and there'd be six or seven different missions associated with it. I thought there were much less than six or seven in Galaxy 1. Like I, no, I, thought I think it was about that number. Up. Yes, but I think uh, 64 and Sunshine had even more than six or seven often. Yeah, um, maybe. But I do agree that Galaxy 2 did break it up even further. Um I I really liked the way the the ship was la- the map was laid out. Um I think for Galaxy 1 it was nice at the time because you were kind of so in awe of the game that it was nice to have those respites where you'd go from um the con- the lab the lab what's it called the lab Lab. i was gonna say lavatory but it's not a toilet (laughs) laboratory Um, yeah all the different um rooms that you had in galaxy yeah yeah. so i liked that um i liked that you did walk around then but at the same time that would have been a bit repetitive and for galaxy 2 when galaxy 2 you're kind of a bit more used to it and you're dying to just get straight into the levels so i do like that they've done an almost sort of mario bros 3 map style walk between um 
stages. I I do enjoy that. Yeah, I think that they kept that for 3D land on 3DS. Like, it's the very similar concept of just going along a line and next level, next level. Um, and I guess to an extent, 3D World was the same, although it had a, a bit of an overworld map. Um, but that seems to be the, the direction they're going in. Now, I think it's very different to what 64 and Sunshine did, right? Because in those games, the hub area was much larger and had a lot more secrets to it and you could explore and find different areas. Is that something you miss, like, in this game? That the fact that, you know, there's no paintings in the wall and or, like, the secret glass window with a slide, you know? Yeah, I mean, I'm not the biggest fan of Mario 64, but I do have to say that Delfino Plaza in sunshine is easily the best hub world in any mario 3d mario that i've played i think it adds so much character to that game um and the 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 way that i think i've mentioned this on the pod before but you can actually see all the different um places that you the world you visit from the central delfino plaza right so it feels like a stitched together world yeah and the and the holiday sunshine sort of theme um they they do pull off really well in that game um so yeah i i do think i do prefer the bigger hub world when they get it right i do think the castle um in 64 is a little bit frustrating and at the same time that i mean they're both nice because galaxy 2 is great because you just literally walk forward 10 meters step on a button and you can just access any world you want to very very quickly and that's great because you're going straight into the levels to get the stars so you can definitely get the stars much much quicker in a game like galaxy 2 than you would for sunshine um yeah. it, it certainly it can get quite frustrating in sunshine to um you you fail a level you get a game over and then you have to go all the way back but at the same time the the um the delfino plaza is definitely worth it it's a really nice touch yeah it's it's a it's cool for the world building and it's something that i don't think the mario games have done in a while so yeah i think it'd be nice for them to go back to that the thing is ead tokyo have never made a game in that style like the closest they've come is galaxy one and that spaceship let's be honest didn't have a whole lot to it it was really just it was a glorified menu um there weren't any secrets there um One thing I want to mention is the bosses in this game. Now, EAD Tokyo always get criticized for repetitive bosses. They they keep, they just... Oh man, have you played Donkey Kong Jungle Beat? Because the bosses just repeat again and again. I I agree with that game and I've not played it, but I've seen your Let's Play of it. um, And I do agree with that. And I do think they repeated the bosses quite badly in Galaxy 1. Sure. But I think that these are the best galaxy bosses by quite a distance um Mm. the new power-ups they use for the bosses for example probably my favorite boss in the game is this gigantic sort of robot that bowser jr is controlling this is the exact one i think about when i think about galaxy 2 bosses this is the one i think about. it's almost like a tank yeah this might not be but i think if you agree that it's tank it probably is the same one and you use the cloud power-up yeah so this the cloud power up for those who don't know is you have every time you do a spin jump um you create a platform you can do that three times so you can basically fly through do a long jump create a platform do another long jump create a platform and you can just keep going for three platforms worth uh before you need to uh, get another cloud power up and then you so you're just using these platforms these cloud platforms to float up and then you bosh the robot on the head and it's just a really nice boss and really well designed. And I have to admit, the Bowser battle 
um, in this game has a really nice mechanic that I do admit they repeat a lot during the game, but I think it's such a cool little mechanic that um, it, it, it makes sense. Do you know the one I mean, MBZ, where you stand on the very small planet right. and ground pound it? And the planet, oh go, right, yeah, and yeah, the yeah. small planet goes out of orbit and hits Bowser, and yeah. it's, it's it's nice. And there's there's loads of other bosses in this game that I I really did enjoy uh, fighting, and they really I think they repeated one boss from the original Galaxy. The the flying bug was on one of the stages, and then sure. they do a nice, which I personally like. They do a nice little boss rush mode at the end of Galaxy Two, of galaxy one bosses so i know you you weren't a a big fan of that but um, i just think it's a little bit lazy like they could have made something else out of that um but i mean it's cool for people who haven't played the first one yeah that i that's why i like i like that it's not just a boss rush mode of the bosses in galaxy 2 sure yeah it's a boss rush mode of a lot of bosses that i only fought years and years ago in galaxy one so it's nice it makes it less egregious in that yeah so i definitely um like the boss design in this game and overall like i've already said numerous times i've really enjoyed this game um i've got all 120 stars i've not gone for any of the 120 green stars which you unlock after getting the first 120 so i might do that in the future but it's not i'm not in any rush to yeah to do fair that. enough i mean that's a solid way to close it out you know the the other stars are green stars which basically get littered throughout the other levels and you have to fight they're basically hidden away and you just find them so i think going through that is a lot less time like you go through it much faster not only because you already know the levels but also because the green stars are in a lot of the times relatively easy to find places um, it's just kind of the question of platforming to get them um, and yeah, yeah there's, there's some really cool stuff there nice. so great uh, I'm, I'm really glad you got to play this this is the this is actually a copy that I lent to you so it's uh, it's good that that has been finally uh, free to of, play yeah t- yeah kind of strangely <laughs> enough for you anyway uh, yeah. Um, but yeah no, good stuff alright well uh, I guess we'll move on to what I've been playing then and uh, I have been down in London, and usually I wouldn't have any way to play console games because I leave them at home and uh, don't bring them with me. I just have my handhelds. But uh, this time, because we're going to be down for a while and we're going to be down a bit longer after um, like August, I decided to bring down my Wii U, uh, specifically for the purpose not of playing a Wii U game, but of playing... There are none! <laughs> There are no, no, of course, the long-held <laughs> joke. Um, but for the p- purpose of playing Xenoblade Chronicles on the Wii. Now, I have a long-storied history with this game, and um, I got it first back in 2011 when it came out um, in the European release, and you know, North Americans were complaining because it wasn't coming out there, and there was Project Rainfall, and it finally did come out there. People were importing it, uh, RFN were talking a lot about it, and I was really interested in the game but i wasn't willing to go out and spend a whole 40 quid on it um so when it came to around christmas time and i went into game just to browse i saw it that it was half price it was down to 20 quid and at that time i was literally like the final few hours of skyward sword and i didn't have anything else to play on wii so i was like you know what this this looks like something that i could be interested in i've played some rpgs before but i haven't really delved super deep uh and i wanted to pick it up and so i did i got it back then and back then i didn't have a class controller pro so i wasn't really able to play the game properly i played it with a wii remote and nunchuck and very quickly got stuck uh very early on in the game 
on a spider boss, which uh, kind of haunted me for about 11 months, uh, as I didn't <laughs> didn't pick the game up again, really. 11 months. Yeah, I d- well, I didn't play it consistently. It's, it's this thing with spider bosses. It's back in Metroid Fusion, there's a spider boss in that game. I got stuck at that point as well, and I kind of put <laughs> that game down for a while. It's just kind of... That boss isn't that bad. No, it's not, but admittedly, at the time, I was quite young and yeah, wasn't true. very good at the game, so... So yeah, I, I it's a, it's a running theme, a weird running theme. And so after 11 months, I decided, you know what? Screw it. I'm getting back into this game. I'm going to buy a Class Controller Pro. So many people are lauding it and talking about it as the RPG of a generation and one of the best RPGs of all time. And I'm like, okay, I've got to play this. I have to. So I got the Class Controller, sat down, and first time with the Class Controller, beat that spider boss. I was like, okay, that was clearly the problem because this Wii Remote <laughs> nunchuck setup was not working whatsoever. No, John's. No, yeah, exactly. Um, and so after that, you know, I continued to play it, and I really got into it, and I, I put like 30 hours, I put a solid 30 hours into it, and then I kind of stopped again. Uh, I can't quite remember why, maybe something else came along, but I put it to the side. And then, obviously, in the meantime, while that was happening, the new game, Xenoblade Chronicles X, got announced, and uh, the hype level started to build for that, and I'm like, oh man... I really want to play this new game, but I can't really justify doing that until I've beaten Xenoblade first. Like, I have this game sitting here that is staring at me, and I want to finish it, but I know it's going to be a task, because it's like a 100-hour long game. So, what happened, essentially, a, a multitude of factors drew me back to playing Xenoblade. Uh, one of them was Chugga Conroy, who started a Let's Play of it, and I really wanted to watch that, but I didn't want to get spoiled for the rest of the game, so I knew that I had to go ahead and beat it before he did it, because otherwise I would be watching stuff that I hadn't seen yet, and it would all be ruined, and I wouldn't get that initial experience. And I think that's a big thing about Xenoblade, is the impact that it has when you reach a new area and a new environment is opened up to you is enormous because the scope of this game is just ridiculous how large these areas are is it kind of blows my mind they managed to fit all this data onto one disc and it was able to run on a wii which is admittedly by many people a very underpowered console it's just astounding that, that what they've managed to pull off in in terms of like these environments and everything. So that had one factor to play. the The second factor, of course, is you know the the new game coming out. And you know I just been hearing a lot more people talk about it. That people on NeoGAF who are picking it back up again. So at the current point in time, I am seventy five hours deep into Xenoblade. So I picked it up from the thirty hour mark, and I've put another forty five in. Ugh. So. I mean, that sounds like a ridiculous thing, right? And you're kind of groaning in the background valley thinking, like, I would never do that. I would never put that much time into a game. But there are good reasons for why you're able to play it for that long. And how it doesn't feel padded in any way. You know, you remember with Skyward Sword how that game game felt very padded. Yeah, There were areas where they... You know, we're like, hey, the final dungeon's here, but let's just go off and do some of this bullshit, lose all your items, and do a stealth segment. You know, uh, some of that was going on. Um, the thing with Xenoblade is it doesn't feel like there's padding. And that is astounding given the fact that the game is this long and it is this big. It's, it's crazy because what really draws me to it a lot is a combination of the story, which I'm really invested in, and just the exploration element. Um, and I think that's... Is it not a little repetitive or, like, fighting enemies? Or right. How, do, how does it keep it fresh? Right. Well, that's that's the thing. I, I would say that, yeah, the, 
the idea of just the combat system and fighting enemies is to a degree repetitive. Like I told you yesterday, I was grinding yesterday because I'm about to face what many people consider the hardest boss in the game, and I listened to Johnny Metz on an old episode of RFN rage horribly about it and say it almost ruined the entire experience for him, how bad the boss was. So I decided I'm just going to over-level myself so that I hopefully don't encounter that problem so i was just grinding and i was basically just fighting enemies over and over again but i did a bit of exploration as well and this is why i'll get to how it's not i, I guess super repetitive and you know the, there is grinding you'll have to grind at some point but there are ways in which to gain experience which doesn't require fighting so there's doing side quests which sometimes uh, involves finding items for people um you know trading things and all that good stuff um sometimes involves killing things but uh, other times is just you know exploring areas and finding new places and so there's an area very early on in the game it's a cave and you go there when you're about level 10 or so and you you know you're just going through the main passages and you go through and you come out so i went back to that cave because there were areas that i hadn't explored yet and i was like huh, i wonder what's down here so i wander down this corridor and up ahead of me are just these monsters flying in the air and they're all like level 90 95 i'm like holy shit i'm like 70 there is no way i'm <laughs> taking these guys on so i'm like very slowly trying to creep my way past so they don't see me and kind of wind my way through this corridor and then I get spotted by one. I'm like, shit, I gotta get out. I gotta run, run. I just keep running. I go down this corridor, like over some stairs and like up a thing, round, under. And I get to this area. And this area is just like this lake, this kind of hidden away lake. It's really small. And it's a secret area. So it, there are these hidden locations in the game. And when you find a secret area, what it does is it uh, puts a warp point there so you can walk back to it whenever you want. And it also gives you a huge amount of experience. So. I get to this area, and suddenly I get a level up. And bear in mind, I'm level 70, 71, so level ups take a long time. Like, I have to kill 50, 60 monsters to level up once. <sighs> so I get to this area, it gives me 150,000 experience, and I level up twice. I go from level 70 to level 72. Just instantly. for exploration. Just for ex just for finding this area, it gives me a hundred and fifty thousand experience, which was insane, and it really helped me. Like, because because I was kind of getting down, like, oh, I'm gonna have to spend so much time leveling up and trying to, you know, get prepared for this boss that I'm gonna be taking on, and all of a sudden, like. I, I, I'm suddenly two levels higher and I've not wasted much time. I've just been exploring. And that is a huge satisfaction in this game. The fact that just wandering around the world, you will get experience just for going to places. And I think that's a thing that a lot more RPGs could implement. Because, you know, you know how it is. You've played Pokemon and, you know, when you get to level 70 Pokemon in that game, you're going through the Elite Four and the, you see the experience bar here, remember? It just chips along slightly, yeah. like... 2,000 experience to chip tiny... You don't even see it a lot of the time when you're a high level anyway. It's just a little pixel. <laughs> yeah, it's a tiny little thing that nudges along. Um, and so, you know, the fact that that happened was out outstanding. I, I agree. I think that's a really cool way of freshening up an RPG. Obviously, I've not played many RPGs at all, but the idea... Because that, that's, that, even with Pokemon, sometimes when you feel like you're exploring and talking to people or doing... I, I was going to say side quests, but maybe that's a strong word for Pokemon. But, yeah. Um, <laughs> but, um, yeah, you feel like... That, that, that's great, and I'm really enjoying this, and, and I'm talking to all these people, but I've 
always have in the back of the back of my mind well my monsters aren't getting leveled up at all so the next time i feel like fighting someone i'm still gonna have to do that that um leveling up and a bit of grinding um now i know um x and y apparently are much better for not needing to grind sure but the idea of just exploring to get some experience is a really nice um a nice nice idea nice uh game mechanic yeah, it definitely is, and the fact that it's so easy to travel around the world is also a, a great thing. Um, and a lot of the times, the secret areas that you find will not only give you a huge amount of experience, they will offer you a visual treat, because, you know, one of these areas is over a giant waterfall, and so you get out onto this peak, and you see the whole waterfall in front of you, and, you know, you can jump off the ledge into the water down below, you know, the game offers you that possibility, but the view from some of these places is just astounding. It is just, you know, people say that Xenoblade doesn't look very good, like it looks like a PS2 game or, or stuff like that. And I'll admit the character models are kind of crappy, the the faces are bad, and they don't look very good. But the environment and the art design behind those environments is just, it's something else. And um, and I'm yeah, I've I've really been blown away by it. So, uh, you think you'll finish it for next time? I, I certainly hope so. I think that, you know, when I'm going to be back home, because I'm going to be back there for a couple of weeks, I'm going to just push on through. I, I think, you know, from what I've heard, maybe five or six hours left uh, if I just push through the game. Um, there may be a little bit more grinding here and there, but, you know, I'm not worried about that because... <laughs> In before it turns into 15. <laughs> no, I... Well... You know what? There, there is post-game <laughs> stuff. I could go oh. to level 120 and take on like ridiculous monsters afterwards. So, you know, the scope for this game is ridiculous. You, you could. It's like when you're younger. If you got this game when you were younger, you were set for the whole year. I would say, like, <laughs> you don't nice. need anything else. So, so there you go. Um, so that's that's pretty much it for Xenoblade. Uh, I was going to talk a bit about Wolf Among Us as well. I, I think maybe just do a little bit here before we close out. Um, because the final episode of The Wolf Among Us came out. And uh, that is, if you don't know, the Telltale uh, series. Um, adventure game series. You know, for, they did The Walking Dead. And now they've done this one based on the Fables universe. And uh, Bali, you came round uh, a while ago and watched me play through the third episode. Um, what mm-hmm. were your impressions uh, seeing that play out? Really really weird like it's um like it's the setting and the game style and almost every and the graphical style almost everything about that game is like not what i'm used to sure it's, it's um so you're making decisions these decisions have consequences and yeah there's very few games i play that that really happens in so i really liked the idea that every little thing you did had a massive effect on the story and that there were different paths for example and it was just a really dark and twisted story really Um, that's the point of that universe is it's taking these like well-known beloved fairy tales and just putting a really grim perspective i think those fairy tales are kind of grisly in the first place when you really think about them um and it's kind of strange that yeah they always get sort of kittified almost yeah yeah um but the fact that it's like set in this new york setting and it's really gritty and um and the characters just have these dark aspects to them and it's a murder mystery essentially is is basically what it is um so It, it really does feel like a tv series a lot 
Yeah, it's, 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 that's what a lot of people say. It's an interactive TV series because mm. you're not really doing a whole lot. You know, the, as far as it goes, it's like quick time events of just pressing buttons really quickly. It's like a Mario Party game. Press the Q button as quickly as you can, you know, on mm-hmm. my PC. Um, and it's just the main gameplay is, is decisions and and, uh, and and saying voice choices, um, word choices, whatever. Um, and so I think that it was a really good closer i think the finale was excellent um and it kind of tied a lot of strings together while also leaving a bit of ambiguity at the end like the final scene is one of those things where you're like okay this is that's strange why is that happening and it kind of leads into the fact that they could potentially do a season two which i like so there was there still a massive satisfying feeling at the end of season one or was it kind of a bit like oh well now i have to buy season two <laughs> <laughs> well i wouldn't i wouldn't begrudge buying season two because i really enjoyed playing the game um but yeah there there's a satisfying ending and there are some of the best action sequences they've ever done like one where you're basically you're the big bad wolf you're big b wolf uh, as they name him and you've transformed fully into a werewolf and there's this car action ch- uh, chase scene spoilers well, it's not really, to be honest. Like, okay. you don't have the context of the story. You just okay, know he's, yeah, sure. you know. Just so, checking. Yeah, no, no, it's it's not really a huge spoiler, to be honest. It's this big chase scene, and, uh, you know, although all you're doing is, like, pressing, you know, buttons, like, go left, go right, because it just pops up on the screen, press the W button, press the A button, they really give you that sense of, you know, uh, kinetic motion, and um, it's uh, it's a pretty fun sequence to play, and... Uh, and they did a great job of that, and um, and yeah, I think they really did uh, a good job of closing things out in general. I really enjoyed the story, and I mean, you have to for this kind of thing because aside from the narrative, there isn't much to go on. Like, unless you're someone who likes just mindlessly pressing buttons, then you know this isn't going to be a thing unless you're invested in the storytelling. Uh, and so, I think that's uh, that's definitely what you need to uh, you know, concentrate on. And they do. When's when season two out? Well, they haven't even confirmed a season two uh, at the at the moment. I think they might do. I think this season's been pretty uh, successful. What I would say is that maybe next time I won't buy the season pass initially. Maybe I'll just wait and play them all at once because there was a long gap between a lot of these episodes and there are things that you forget about. And, you know, the thing with the ending is, like, it ties into a few things that happened along the way, some of which I uh, am a little bit less familiar with unless I go back. Because it was months and months ago. Right, exactly. And so what I did with The Walking Dead was I played that whole thing within the space of a week. Like, I had the entire story done and dusted. Um, So I think, you know, maybe next time I would wait. And, of course, the season pass goes on sale. Like, it was down to, like, six quid in the Steam sale. So I could have picked it up then and had the same experience, just played it through all at once. Um, I think that's probably my, my biggest knock on the game, is that this series is really great, but it doesn't fit into the episodic model as well as The Walking Dead does. Like, because this is one arching narrative of one single murder, or, you know, multiple murders committed by the same, you know, group of people, um, it, it it's a bit difficult to keep it, like, each epi- episode as a standalone thing. Whereas The Walking Dead, each episode felt like its own contained story, which also built into the overarching plot, so... So uh, that's uh, kind of my feelings on on maybe where they could go within the future, but um, but it was uh, really enjoyable, and I'm glad it's done. And uh, now just look forward to the next two episodes of The Walking Dead season two. So so there we go. That is going to be uh, all the stuff I've been playing recently, and um, and that's going to be our first segment. So thank you very much for listening. You we are going to just take a little break here, and we are going to come back with some of the emails that you've sent us uh, last week. 
Xbox. So uh, don't go anywhere. We shall return. Alright everyone, welcome back. Uh, time for emails! And uh, Bally has some of them right up his sleeve. Why don't you go ahead and, uh, and read out the first? Our first email is from Daniel Bunzelmeyer. Hello guys, I was going about my business on Wednesday night. I was refreshing my podcast player to get the latest RFN podcast and something caught my eye. Before I knew it, I was having a heart attack. Later, in the hospital, surrounded by doctors and under heady sedatives... I decided to check my phone again. Sure enough, the cause of my heart attack was indeed an unscheduled Now You're Playing With Power podcast appearing on my phone. (laughs) In regards to E3, I was laughing so hard at the things Nintendo pumped out for their digital event. Microsoft and Sony have had, for a while now, somewhat of an arrogance about them, taking themselves a bit too seriously for my taste. I mean, they have great stuff, but at the end of the day, they're making video games, not fighting in World War II. And Nintendo's silliness really, I think, did a lot to endear them to gamers that may be getting a little tired of the pissing contest, although Bally may have had a better description going on between Microsoft and Sony as to who can produce the more smug elitist gamers. Here's my question for you guys. Six months ago, you made a podcast detailing your concerns for Nintendo and why their numbers were so low. Now with E3 in the rearview mirror, I want to pose the question again. What are your feelings for Nintendo and the future of the company? And the Wii U sold, what, 2.5 million through the end of last year? How many units do you think they'll sell with the knowledge of all the great-looking games coming out, especially with Smash coming out this winter? Fingers crossed. Despite the slow start, Reggie Gigas, they've had thus far, <laughs> Nintendo seems to have a pretty darn bright future. I had plans to only play the 3DS, which, by the way, is one of the best systems Nintendo has ever put out. It's really fantastic. And just skip the console generation. But Nintendo is making a pretty strong case for me buying this system with the Wii U in the future, which means their marketing is finally working, which makes me very happy for their future. As always, awaiting the next podcast with baited breath okay um i was a little bit uh caught off guard by the fact he mentions uh six months ago we made a podcast uh, yeah I was, tells me I was like how long wow. we've been making a podcast for we've been going um, a while yeah indeed uh well let's uh let's talk about then that topic indeed uh what will happen in terms of sales what will happen now that we have e3 in the can um and all those games coming out uh what do you think bally how do you think Wii U will do this year? Well, we know that Mario Kart 8 was in some shockingly short period of time was in like an instant million Wii U's. Yeah. 
and so if you can if you extrapolate that over the rest of the year mm. there's no reason why Mario Kart by itself can't sell another million sure or, or I mean especially so. coming up to the holiday season that's exactly. going to be probably double or triple that and it's one of those games that's a bit more casual a bit a bit easier to pick up and play than something like Smash Brothers potentially and then when you have that in the combination of Smash Brothers and all the Nintendo fans who own a Wii U most likely buying that um, you can probably factor in another million another two million yeah and then so you're kind of getting to roughly four to five million Wii U's for the year of 2014 which compared to last year isn't that bad I mean, it's definitely an improvement, but when you're talking about last year, like, there's not much you need to do to improve on that. It was pretty abysmal, to be perfectly honest. Um, I don't know. I'm thinking maybe somewhere in the region of, you know, six to seven, probably by the end of the year. That seems yeah. like a, a reasonable estimate. I'm not, I can't quite remember. I think maybe uh, the current sales are about six million worldwide, Wii U. Um and of course we know that GameCube was about 20 uh, for its lifetime so I think it's definitely pushing a bit closer towards that um, that's if Nintendo you know give the Wii U enough life to last that long uh, they may cut it short you know and yeah. you know, our, 2015 may well be the last big year for Wii U we don't know at this point and it depends on how I think it really does depend on how well it does this year and um, what those big titles do for them because yes there are some really good games coming out but they are mainly 2015 ones and I, I'm not sure that a lot of those games are really big system sellers like Splatoon is great it's a really cool new IP I don't think it's going to be a system seller. I don't think Yoshi's going to be a system seller. Same with Kirby. Like, these are really solid, fantastic-looking games that I'm sure will review excellently across the board. But those are the games that are going to sell to an install base, you know, to the people who already have the system. And this year is where they have to grow that install base. And, you know, like you said, with Mario Kart, they already have a solid amount of... Like, far more than anyone really expected Mario Kart to sell, despite the fact that, you know, it is Mario Kart and it usually does well. People thought because Wii U is so unpopular and has such a small install base that uh, that would not do as uh, as great numbers. And yet it has, so... You know, prospects are good, I think. I, definitely think. I do think, I agree that um, games like Splatoon, the new Yoshi game, new Kirby game, they're going to review really well, but maybe not sell a lot of systems. But at the same time, I think they're a really nice stopgap between a, a ma- I was going to say a smash hit, a, a massive hit like Smash Brothers and Zelda, which is probably Christmas 2015, start of 2016. God, that would you know lot, Zelda, that would it's going to be time. delayed, yeah. isn't it? <laughs> and especially with what they're describing for the scope of this new Zelda game, like... Mm, yeah. yeah. But to have um, games like Splatoon, Yoshi, Kirby, that all looked great um, in that, that first few... that first half of 2015... Um, and probably, I guess, one of those is going to be t- the end of 2015. I think it's there's a lot to look forward to, and there there are a lot more reasons to buy a Wii U now than there definitely were last year. Um, and that number of 20 million GameCubes come the end of 2015, I think it should be doable in the lifetime of the Wii U, but it, we'll have to see. And it, there, there's so much still up in the air, but I mean... The question was, 
compared to six months ago, and I mean, me personally, and I'm sure sure you'd agree, MBZ, Nintendo is in a far better position than they were six months ago. Oh, undoubtedly. Like, they have... I mean, a lot of people saying that they were the winners of E3. They were the ones who really came out, had surprises, had a really funny and interesting showcase, had the live stream, which was fantastic, and really kind of showed everyone up and was like, you know what? We're doing our own thing at E3. And you know what? It's better than anything else anyone else is doing. So fuck you guys, essentially, (laughs) is how uh, their stance was. And I thought it was great. And I, I really like that Nintendo at E3 they stagger things and they don't get everything off their chest all at once you know they have the digital event where the big announcements are made but then you know there was the live stream where they showed the new project from Miyamoto and then later on they were talking more about Smash Brothers and had the character reveals and then obviously um, they had the uh, project or codenamed Steam um, at the last day Um, I just think you know it has put them in a good position coming out of that event um, and it's really, you know, made people consider, hey, I need to be paying attention to this system because, quite frankly, it has the best lineup currently and is going to have a really solid one in the future, you know, comparative to the two other new systems. And and to be honest, they're getting themselves in a position where even if the Wii U doesn't sell with all these great games, Nintendo can put their hands up in the air and sort of say, well, look, we made, we, in our opinion, we made some really great games. You guys agree they're great games. Sometimes sales just don't happen for unknown reasons. And they're kind of getting to a position where they're doing good and that there's less you can blame on them. And that's a really great thing to see. Yeah, I mean, he does make a point about Nintendo having better marketing. Um, I mean, I guess you could call the Treehouse livestreams marketing. They That's basically what they are to a yeah. degree. Um, yeah. But yeah, and in terms of like just the whole advertising end of it, I, I think they have a mountain to climb where that's concerned because what they've done so far is just confuse people people and not really distinguish themselves very much and they just haven't really put enough money or effort behind giving the Wii U a really good push you know on TV or anywhere else um, so I think that that's something they they should sort and I think you know they can piggyback off of Mario Kart with it they can piggyback off of Smash Brothers um, and that will put them in a much better place uh, to hopefully you know take next year by storm and really 2015 for everyone not just for Nintendo for everyone is it's pretty much shaping up to be the best gaming year in history at the current moment like what every is year is the best year <laughs> well you know Apart, unless, mean, it's, unless it's 2013 Nintendo but yeah yeah exactly no I, th- I definitely think that next year is shaping up especially if we do get Zelda at the end of the year <laughs> it's yeah I think that would be uh that would be a real a real zinger right there so yeah so uh yeah um cool i mean i guess i guess that's pretty much what we have to say so so uh, we've got an email from Carl white dear mbz and bally i would like to start off by asking whether or not you think there will be more characters revealed in the upcoming smash brothers if so who would you like to see make her first appearance or perhaps return i think you mentioned ridley before but i am curious as to if you want to see others all right, well, generic another Smash. Who want do you want in Smash Brothers? Question. But the reason I thought that we'd be uh, good to answer this is because very recently, as in about an hour ago for us, uh, new Smash Brothers characters were revealed. 
um, because you know they held that event and uh, Sakurai was like here we go here's a three minute trailer and boom 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 characters so what did we get Bally we got some Fire Emblem and we got some Captain Falcon what are your thoughts how are you feeling about these reveals I love more characters I always want more characters I was getting really anxious about <laughs> Captain Falcon not being there I mean yeah. part of me was starting to think well if they're not making another F-Zero why would you put in Captain Falcon but I mean I guess it's great to have him back. Um, yeah, I'm not massively into Fire Emblem, obviously, so I don't really know anything about these characters, but they look pretty cool. Um, it's nice to see more female characters. It's nice exactly. to see... Exactly, we'll get to that. Yes, yeah, we will get to that. Um, and it's nice to see... I mean, that they are mainly sword users. You said that they also use magic. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, it's good. Uh, I obviously am still fighting the good fight for Ridley, which is, I don't know. It's seeming less and less likely Yeah, today. but, I mean, um, you never know, but, uh, personally, Fire Emblem doesn't excite me as much as you, but, yeah, it's nice to see new characters. Yeah, and prior to this reveal, we were kind of wondering, you know, a lot of people were thinking it's going to be Shulk from Xenoblade, because, uh, the Monolith Soft uh, developers um, behind the game retweeted Sakurai's tweet saying there's going to be new characters. And usually they retweet stuff that they're involved with, which is why a lot of people, a lot of parts of the internet were getting very excited about the possibility of Shulk being revealed. And then that wasn't true. So now we're just wondering, like, did Sakurai approach Monolith Soft and tell them to deliberately retweet that so that he could trick people into thinking that was going to be the reveal when it actually was? Because, you know, I think that man would go to lengths like that just just to troll the internet he is that kind of guy and um i i think it's pretty funny that he does that but he oh, he's, yeah he just gets us every time every time you can never tell with sakurai um so so yeah no i'm i'm really happy uh to be honest i love fire emblem awakening and um you know the character lucina who is revealed is a little bit of a spoilery character in some senses so i'm not really going to talk about you know her role in the story of the game but um I really liked her, and I think that the fact that they are choosing the female lead instead of the male one is really smart, not only because, you know, it it is more diverse and, you know, it's all about equality with, you know, having more female characters, but Krom, who's the main male character, is really boring uh, in the sense that he is another blue-haired male with a sword, and we already have Marth and Ike, who, guess what, are blue-haired males with swords. And I know that the only difference here is Lucina is that, you know, she's a girl. Uh, she still has blue hair. She still has a sword. <laughs> still but, has blue hair and a sword. But I think that she is going to play really interestingly, and I'm very excited to probably make her my main character like in all honesty uh, you know aside from shulk being announced you've not even played as her yet <laughs> no i haven't i've already made my decision by look this is how it works she I might like handle like shit <laughs> oh, oh look the way that mark handles the way that you know roy handled before they do a good job of making fire emblem characters really quick and fluid and that's the kind of style i like with uh, smash brothers so totally down for that uh, the other fire emblem character is uh, robin um <clears throat> which is a name that is not really familiar to me to be honest because 
essentially Robin, in quotation marks, is the Avatar character. It's your character in Fire Emblem Awakening. So what happens is you create them, you do their hair and their faces, and you can choose whether they're a male or a female. Um, you're the person who controls that. You name them. So I just named my character NBZ. So the name Robin is completely unfamiliar to me, but essentially what it is is they're taking the main character from Fire Emblem Awakening and putting them in the game. And um, it's really cool because I think they're going to be playing very very interestingly because what happens is this character is a user of both magic and weaponry so they have a sword and a spell book and so i think that it's going to be a cool game to play that you have really cool ranged attacks as well as melee stuff so you can kind of decide how you're going to play it just like in the game where you can decide if you want to be more of a, a weapon user or a magic user and um yeah i think that's really great so i'm interested to see how that plays out um Sakurai did, of course, you know, do a little troll with Krom at the end, and Krom was like, his voice acting was like, oh, maybe next time, and then text on the screen says, no, you'll be doing this today, and it showed Krom fighting, and everyone's like, oh my god, they're putting Krom in the game as well, but going to the website, apparently um, Krom isn't listed on the new characters, and some, you know, very vigilant people have noticed that he seems to be the final smash for Robin, which makes sense, you know, because those two characters are kind of, you know, like, uh, you know, good friends in the game, and uh, they kind of work together. So, I get it. I understand it. Um, but, you know, that there's still a load of fire. Like, we have four five if you count the female version of robin at this point which is pretty unprecedented honestly like there's never been that many fire emblem characters in a smash brothers game two is the max usually they you know characters get cut and uh yeah still here we are so there we go um so the next email is from klex yoshi and he says you'll best be kissing my ass because i just gave a shameless plug to your show to johnny metz best put on your a-game boys Okay. Yeah, I hope so. <laughs> yeah, we're totally up there with RFN. Um, oh, oftentimes, yeah. <laughs> critics hand Nintendo for their lack of new character-based intellectual property over the past several years. While this E3 proved to be quite the exception with the show floor and presentation time devoted to, Spl- Spl- to Splatoon and to a lesser extent codenamed Steam, this isn't an entirely true criticism. For the uninitiated, Nintendo has either done one of two things with new ideas that they get. They either get relegated to the eShop, Pushmo, Sakura Samurai, Art of the Sword, Dylan's Rolling Western, or are launched with an existing brand tacked to it, Kid Chris Uprising, Kirby's Epic Yarn, or Excitebots. My question is as follows. Of the latter of these those two categories, what would you like to see Nintendo do their take on something and attach IP to it? My question is as follows. Of the latter of those two categories, what would you like to see Nintendo do their take on and attach an existing IP to? Okay. um, Well, I think that he makes a very good point. And this is something that a lot of people, you know, critique Nintendo for is the fact, hey, where are the new characters? Where are the new IP? You have all these guys, you know. Nintendo essentially make new IP with every new game they make because it's not about the character it's about the genre and the game and the art style. Like As he rightly says, something like Kid Icarus Uprising could have been something brand new. They didn't have to attach that franchise to it, but they did it because it's recognizable and it's something that people have nostalgia for and something people will latch on to, which basically allows them to take care of the sales part because they know people will buy it, while also 
innovating and doing something completely new. And it's the same with Kirby's Epic Yarn, this crazy art style. I think it was initially meant to be just for the the second character in that game, is called Prince Fluff. It would have been some kind of you know Prince Fluff's fluffy adventure or some nonsense. And I would I wouldn't have sold as many copies. It would have been really cool, but no copies of that game uh, would sell as much as it would if Kirby was on the cover. Um, and so. I uh, I appreciate that you know that's that's something that happens and uh, and that Nintendo do this a lot. So, what do you think, Bally, in terms of you know some genre they they would take on a, and attach uh, a character to? Um... For me personally, having just played uh, Galaxy Two, it'd be lovely for them to make a new 3D platformer and attach any one of their multitude of characters onto it. Okay, so. Um... Donkey Kong, Yoshi, even Kirby, or um, I, I'm running out of characters already. But you, you I mean, get what, what if you go like the other direction and say like a Zelda style platformer? Because you know the thing with Zelda and Metroid is they very much stick to the blueprint of their own games, aside from the spin-offs, like of course Hyrule Warriors and Metroid Prime Pinball, and that that's kind of nonsense. But yeah. Mar- Mario is diverse. Like he has been in sports games, he's been in racing games, he's been in platformers, he's been in RPGs. So he seems to be their kind of go-to for a lot of these things. Mm-hmm. Like the Paper Mario style RPG, I'd love to see like an RP a Zelda RPG in that same style, like Paper Zelda. That would be really cool. I think that they could do that and it would be a neat idea and you know, the gameplay would be very similar, but it would change the world it would change the characters and it would make it something completely unique um so i guess that's one of my things i would throw out there yeah i would also add open world with something like Star Fox, where you can get in and and out of vehicles it can have platforming elements you can go between planets potentially um just and it's fresh. I mean, Nintendo have never really made an open world game, so I mean that'd be yeah. really fresh. I mean, I'd, I'm sure this new Star Fox game they're creating is probably going to be quite far away from open world, but you never know. Yeah, I mean, you know, the the idea behind like No Man's Sky and everyone's really hyped about that. Put Star yeah. Fox on a game like No Man's Sky and. That seems like a really interesting prospect, honestly. And of course, you know, I think that game probably won't have a strong narrative because it's much more about just exploring and, and the world. Mm-hmm. But if you took Star Fox and attached a, a bit more of a narrative to it, and that idea of just you know getting in a ship, flying from one planet to another, is a pretty astounding thing. Um, they could totally do something like that. I, I'm sure of it. Yeah, I've run out of ideas. Really. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, thinking about it. Um, there are a couple of ideas that he threw out there for us, um, like uh, using some kind of puzzle platformer that uses the gamepad and, and gyro and stuff with a character. 3D Wario platformer, maybe. There was one on GameCube which didn't have great reviews, but it'd be nice if they tried again, maybe? Yeah, well, I think that game was more of an isometric view. It wasn't necessarily a 3D oh, was it? perspective. Okay. It was kind of at an angle. I mean, you could, you know, there were three dimensions to it, but it was much more of a flat plane that you were going from left to right uh, with an angle to it. Uh, yeah, I, I think you could take that idea, the kind of the core premise of a Wario game and put it into 3D. Yeah, I, I, I certainly think that's an interesting thing. Um, Nintendo don't really do stealth that often. I think maybe some sort of stealth game um, 
I think Metroid could be attached to a stealth game very easily. That would be great. Some, you know, I mean, they... using the morph ball to go through corridors and stuff. I think that's an interesting. There one. are elements in Zelda games, but you're right. Something like oh, Samus's gun is broken and she's helpless, and you have to go go through corridors and like you could have some pretty fearsome enemies as well. Sure, I think there are some elements of that even in Metroid Zero Mission. Oh um, right, towards the end of it, so. You know that concept is there, and it could be expanded on. I I think you know you know going something stealth like a stealth game that one the only stealth game that I've really enjoyed is a game called Mark of the Ninja, which I played on Steam last year. Uh, really fantastic two D stealth game, and I think Nintendo could you know take the two D Metroid formula and, and apply some kind of stealth mechanic to it. Uh, that would be awesome. I, I think it would be really cool if they did it well. So there are some ideas. I guess there are some some ideas that could happen. Um, so that's it so our final question of this week is from Bruno Garcia hello MBZ and Bali I'm writing this email from San Diego California out of all the 3D Mario games I've noticed that the Galaxy games are praised as the best 3D Marios while Sunshine gets a lot of hate and Mario 64 is just seen as the classic one now of all these games you can add 3D World if you'd like what are your opinions on each one and which one is your favourite? Personally, I love Mario 64, but I think that's the nostalgia kicking in. Thanks for the great podcast. Keep it, keep up the good work. P.S. Bally, as someone who just recently played Metroid Prime, right after playing Super Metroid, the first-person platforming can feel a bit strange, but you'll get used to it really quickly, and I guarantee you will not regret playing this great game. Well, that's good to hear about Metroid. Bruno? Yeah, indeed. Seems like it's going to be your next project. Yes, so, uh... that will be my next project. I'm going to hopefully get through that. Um, but yeah, MBZ. I think we should uh, start you know, from the beginning and kind yes. of go through them. Um, so 64, neither of us played on N64, despite the fact that you owned one. Uh, I don't think you ever had the cartridge, did you? I found the cartridge at school years later. It was like in a lost and found pile. And I was just wow. like... Well, I'm the only one here with N64, I guess I'll take that. <laughs> and, I, and I've not played it um, on that cartridge, but yeah. But we uh, we both played it on the DS, because they released yes. the remake, uh, Super Mario 64 DS, uh, where the main character was Yoshi, and he got hats with would turn him into Mario and Wario and, and stuff. Um and uh, no, no, no. You, you could actually. You you, go yeah, you could. You could unlock and, them. Yeah, you. You could unlock yeah. those characters later, but initially he would use hats to transform into them. Um, yeah. And I guess it is somewhat of a different experience than the original. Um, but I, I really enjoyed it. Like, I think it was the first time I played a proper 3D Mario game, so it's appropriate that you know it, it's it's going to be that one because it is the one that's looked back on with a lot of fondness by a lot of people. And I think. The the stuff the cool stuff that it does is, uh, you know, within the castle, like the secret areas there. I think that's really awesome, and I do like the idea of the big areas. Like the thing with sixty four and sunshine is they both have big areas that you go back to again and again. You become really familiar with them, like you know them inside and out. You know all the areas to them and the hidden paths and the secret areas, um, and so every mission is contained within that one big space. Uh, so like and the cool thing about it is they never really tell you what you need to do for the mission the title of it will give you a hint but you won't actually know where to go so a lot of it is kind of exploration and discovering things I really enjoyed it I thought it was 
a pretty fantastic game. Um, but in terms of like the overall scope, I think it's a little bit lower down the list than the Galaxy games are for me. Uh, well, I actually played uh, Sunshine before Mario 64. That's yes. right, yeah. Um, so I was very young. I played... I got it almost the day it came out, I seem to remember. And I must have got about 50 to 60 stars. And then I got stuck. Yeah. Um, out of all the Mario games I've played, it is easily, by far and away, the hardest um, there are numerous levels without your jetpack flood that are some probably the hardest 3D platforming levels man has ever created. <laughs> I would doubt um, that, but they they're, are they're up tough. there with the hardest I've ever played, certainly. I, I do look at those levels as a precursor to Galaxy because a lot of them take place in these kind of yeah, ethereal and, areas that have kind of, you know, no boundaries yeah. to them. It kind of looks like you're out in space. And, uh, and like, a lot of the... Uh, Galax- one of the galaxy stages in Galaxy 2 in particular like, near the end is is almost a carbon copy of one of them actually yeah, um, yeah but yeah so I think Sunshine is a fantastic game that I still need to go back to and get those last few uh, shine sprites they're not stars remember in that game yeah indeed so I've got a lot of shine sprites left to get in that game and I think it's only fair that I would give a full opinion of that game once I've got all the stars which is going to be really tough um and i think it will will be the death of me but um i prefer <laughs> i do prefer that game a lot more to 64 ds i thought okay. 60, there was something about 64 ds that I, I mean i was playing it it was good fun um but be- i felt like because i've i had already experienced sunshine which is in my opinion a much better game um so yeah, out of those two, I'd prefer Sunshine. But then, I guess yeah. in 2006, seven, 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 we both bought Galaxy 1 pretty yeah. much the day it came out. Mm-hmm. Um, and we were just talking about this the other night that we, we kind of can't remember, well, I couldn't remember at least when we both completed it. Yeah. Um, but Ga- I mean, Galaxy 1 was probably the first game I played to completion. So I got every single star. I didn't, well, I, having said that, I've not got Luigi stars, which I know you've got, MBZ. Yeah. Um, I, I wouldn't really count that as uh, full completion. Fair enough. Just playing the game a second yeah, time, essentially. So I think that it's really tight between Galaxy 1 and something like Sunshine for me because Galaxy's got that there's something that hits you with galaxy that we were talking about earlier in the podcast but yeah it's it's impossible to recreate that initial wow factor exactly but in some ways a lot of the ease with the majority of the levels in that game is a a slight negative for me personally but having said that there are plenty of flaws with sunshine so it's really tight for me to decide between those two okay but you would put galaxy 2 above all of them do you think at this point Yes, but like I said, I, I've not completed Sunshine, and it'd be interesting to go back to Sunshine now that I'm quite a bit older and probably a much better gamer. Yeah, um, and uh, give it a fair assessment. And also, that. I think it's unfair to leave 3D World out and 3D Land. I think three. I pers- I know you disagree, but I prefer 3D World to 3D Land. Yeah, and I think 3D World is a better game than 64. Okay. Um, yeah. I'm struggling to mix it in with Sunshine and Galaxy 1. Although I, I guess it's in around there, but like I said before, Galaxy 2 is above 
the other lot for me personally. Yeah, I think I would tend to agree. Um, Galaxy Two does seem to be like the kingpin of all of them, and uh, just quality-wise, is is pretty much flawless. So, I would say that's up top. I'd you know I haven't played Sunshine at all, so I can't really give a good assessment there. You're waiting for the HD remake. Yeah, I'm I'm totally holding out for that, but when that comes, I'm I'm down. Um, and yeah, I, I would say that kind of similar thing. Like the, the Galaxy games are you know higher up the list in 3D World. I I'd put 3D World probably below 64. Honestly, um, no. it just didn't impress me enough. Uh, 3D Land, however, I would say 3D Land I liked more than the original Galaxy. It's like my second favorite. Um, really? So I'd put that, I'd put that up there. Um, yeah, definitely. So uh so yeah I think that's a that's a pretty good lineup. Um it's a good ranking and uh and yeah I mean they're all great games. Hope you all agree with us. <laughs> yeah well probably not probably <laughs> yeah. shouting into your generic MP3 device. <laughs> ah this is wrong. Yeah. and Bali speaking lies once more. Uh, of course as always we are just full of lies. Uh anyway uh there's something which isn't a lie that's the fact we have a third segment and uh, that is going to be coming up after the music break so don't go anywhere we shall return and talk about women in gaming. <laughs> Okay, we are back for the third and final segment of our show, and uh, we, before we uh, jump into that, I forgot last segment to you know tell you all the email address, because, I've, I don't know, it kind of slipped my mind. So, Bali, why don't you tell everyone the email address that you can email us questions to on the email with your computer, with your laptop, whatever you have. What is it? Email your questions with your laptop to nyppquestions at gmail.com. And we will get on to all your listener mail again next time. Hopefully, yeah. We uh, run a little low the bottom of the barrel, so uh, do feel free to do that, because we enjoy it, and I'm sure you guys do as well. So, uh, anyway, let's jump into our topic. Uh, this is basically discussing the uh, very controversial and kind of politically relevant idea of women in gaming. It's a very kind of general way to say it, but we're going to be talking about you know their involvement in games as characters, as well as you know women in the games industry and their profession there, and you know people being hired as journalists and developers and all that stuff. So uh, let's let's start. There have been lots of different news stories about this. Um, I think we're going to kick it off talking about you know female characters in games uh, with the story uh, of Ubisoft, who, when questioned about Assassin's Creed Unity, is the new game right? Yes. Um, when questioned about Assassin's Creed Unity and how it being a co-op game uh, that you should be able to you know choose your character and you should be able to uh, you know decide whether it's male or female, responded very poorly that they didn't have the time to devote to creating female characters to play in Assassin's Creed Unity and of course you know this started a hubbub and a lot of uh, arguments and everything on the internet how do you feel about how they handled this situation Bali and the idea of you know 
having the time or resources to put into female characters in a game. I don't know. I mean, is there anyone who thinks they handled this well? No. <laughs> I, I, I think I think that um, an answer could have been really honest, and it would have made them look pretty bad in its own way. But they could have just said, "We never thought about putting in female characters," or it's it's like it's like they thought about it and then decided against it, and that you're getting the worst of both worlds with the response that they had. Yeah, I think this is generally just a PR fuck-up more than anything else. They didn't hand... It's it's very similar to the way Nintendo handled their Tomodachi Life situation, right? Which we talked about. Yes. And how the response they gave was just... It was, like, ignorant as everything. It was... They didn't really know how to respond, and they responded in the worst way they possibly could by brushing it under the carpet and kind of treating it as irrelevant and... Yeah, that sucked, and I do think that that's the same thing here with the you know with Ubisoft and the Assassin's Creed developers. Is I mean, very clearly, what has happened is the way that the game works is you have your main character who, for the purposes of the story, whatever that may be, is a male, right? And he is the guy whose story is going to be told, and he's the one you're playing as. And so, what they have done essentially is they've just made everyone who's playing the game that character like there was no discussion about you know changing customization options of the face or what they looked like because it was the, it was literally a carbon copy of the same character so understandably like that's just what they want to do they in terms of the co-op they're just having you all play as the same character he looks the exact same and you know i guess that won't really factor into the story thing it's just for the purposes of that and i mean they could have answered it like that like that's how they're running the game but instead they chose to give an answer which made them seem extremely misogynistic and frankly just out of touch yeah out of touch completely one area where i would defend ubisoft and maybe this is linking to what we're going to talk about in a bit is that they actually correct me if i'm wrong but they had one of only very few or if not the only um female what, what would you call them a presenter right um, for hosting, their conference hosting their conference at e3 and even little things like that they, they they have gotten right um so maybe give them a bit of credit for that but definitely this was a cock up you're right no i mean if you count the number of women who are out on stage during e3 in general i mean uh there was bonnie ross from uh, 343 for the halo stuff at microsoft but aside from her really like no one um, and Aisha Tyler was the host. She was the one, you know, doing the entire conference for them, which is fantastic, and that's really cool. But um, yeah, it's just I, I think that this has brought up a lot of good discussion around the fact that you know there is this horrible problem of not having enough strong female characters in games, and um, and just Ubisoft's handling of it just has kind of ticked I mean, that off. Honestly. What about Nintendo? Where where are they ticking all the boxes and where are they just getting it horribly wrong when it comes to uh, women in their games, do you think? Well, I think that to start with, when we're talking about coming out of E3, Nintendo were praised by a lot of people for having so many playable female characters. And I mean, even today, they announced three new characters for Smash Brothers, two of which are female um, and that is a really fantastic thing, and it shows that they have a diverse lineup of characters to choose from. Um, and it, 
it really helps them i think and especially with splatoon like splatoon i think what people said from the show floor is that it was an even mix of male and female um squid people or whatever you want to call them Um, they are quite androgynous but yes (laughs) yeah they they are and i mean that's another thing with link our people were saying that he looked like a girl and that kind of stuff um I think they got it right on the on the fact that, especially, also Hyrule Warriors. You know, a lot of a lot of people are talking about this game, but like, the balance of female characters to male characters in that game is about eighty twenty. It's pretty ridiculous. <laughs> they have Midna. They have this new witch character called Lana. They have uh, Agatha, who's the bug girl. They have uh, Zelda, and they have Impa. And then the male characters, are like, well, there's Link, and I mean, I guess Ganondorf's going to be in there. Like, th- that's astounding is i i didn't really think about how many female characters there are in that series um and it really puts into perspective that nintendo have a lot you know a lot more than a lot of other people but in terms of the flip side like we talk a lot about you know in games women are portrayed as a lot of time the damsel in distress or the object for the hero to acquire, acquire or some kind of thing they're, they're very much or they were the hostage in um the rainbow was it rainbow, six, rainbow siege. six siege oh well, yes. yeah that was yeah. that was a little weird wasn't yeah. it the fact that that woman was she was a flag yeah she was like basically an object to be dragged around by the teams and everything's blowing up around her and she's just you know scared out of her mind and yet that's not really even concentrated on and the the players who are playing that game don't even seem to bring up as an issue uh yeah that that is something really quite concerning a lot of people um thought that was a weird way to go um but yeah this idea of objectification and just kind of making them a goal um Nintendo have been doing that since the NES days, right? You know, Princess Peach. She is the original video game damsel in distress. Mm. Um, what what I, do you I, think about that? I completely agree with something like Mario and Princess Peach. And and in many ways, that's potentially the most impressionable because that will be presumably played by more younger players than perhaps some of their other games. And it's, and it, it's like, it's quite an old uh, stereotype to have this damsel in distress uh, Peach who can't do anything now now she did have her own DS game oh no <laughs> but it really wasn't a very good game apparently and... oh, well let's talk about that for a okay, second sure. because I think this is one of the most egregious examples of misogyny in video games full stop the way that the Princess Peach game played was that her power ups were emotions right uh... they used emotions like when she was sad she would cry and all these things would happen that would be part of her moveset when she was angry like it was really just so reductive and so just blind from the developer standpoint i mean i guess they they, it really stank of a game that was developed by men who didn't know what to do um yeah regarding a female character and like the stereotyping was horrible it was really bad um I have tried to play a little bit of that game. I didn't get very far in it. I don't. I don't think it was a particularly great platformer, anyway. But I think that that mm. is just a. It's a horrible example. Yeah. Um, but I mean, overall, I'm prepared to allow Nintendo to kind of keep that going with Mario and Peach because I mean that's the way it's always been. It would be pretty. It changed uh... the formula maybe too much to to change that and i mean i think it's not it would be nice if the formula was changed a lot more with something like zelda so i mean sure. obviously with tetra um being zelda in uh wind waker tetra was 
kind of kick-ass, kind of did a lot of stuff, really cool stuff. Um, in other games, like maybe Spirit Tracks, there's quite a bit of you play as Zelda. Um, but it'd be really nice if, like, maybe, what if, say, for a quarter of the game, something happened to Link and you were just playing as Zelda for, like, a quarter of the game? Yeah, that would be amazing. Like, or even more than that, and more than just a quarter. Or just kind of, I mean... She has light arrows. She has cool weapons. She has the potential to have even more cool weapons. And it'd be really nice to see that evolve. Yeah, I, I agree. And I mean, to the point of Tetra, I love, I really like her as a character. Like, mm-hmm. she is yes. definitely one of the best representations of Zelda in any of those games. But I have a big issue. And the main issue is that as soon as she discovers that she is the Princess Zelda and she is the heirloom <laughs> and all this... What do they do to her? They lock put, her underground. They, they put her in a dress, they lock her underground, and she has zero agency until the, like the very end of the game, where, I mean, she does some stuff, but not a huge amount. Yeah. And I think that that is just such a bad way of dealing with it. Had they made her more integral to the end game stuff and actually made her a much more, um, you know, character with agency then mm. that would have been a better way to handle it. But it's like, no, well, suddenly she has a dress so she can't go around and do anything, and it's a horrible stereotype to perpetuate. And yet they still did it, which is really frustrating. Yeah, I mean, what if she remained as Tetra and just kept sailing the seas and Ganon didn't know who she was sort of thing? And just because they kept going, I don't know. Yeah, and I mean, if that if that reveal just stayed until the very end of the game and she yeah. was up to that point, yeah, that I think be... it would have been much better, honestly. Yeah. Um, and I mean, elsewhere, obviously, Nintendo with um, Samus being revealed as being female at the end of um, Metroid on the NES was obviously a huge, a huge thing. I mean, everyone at that time just assumed that all gaming characters, especially those doing all the action, were male. And yeah. I mean, neither of us have really played much of NES Metroid. No, but we've but... played enough of the other ones to realize that Samus is a badass. Like yeah, she, she yeah. is, she is super powerful and agile, and has all these awesome moves and power ups that she has. Um, and I mean, up until the point of Metroid Other M, where I think that they they kind of turned her into uh, an emotional like crybaby, which was horrible. Um, that she was one of the most interesting and mysterious and you know prominent female characters in gaming in general. And I agree, like, you go through that whole, you know, when you're playing at the time, the original Metro, you're going through it thinking, God, this character's really cool, He he's awesome, and then you get to the end, and the reveal is, this is a female the entire time? Like, wow, what, what, that is really crazy. Um, and I think that they, yeah, they did a great job there, and that's, that's kind of in contrast to uh, the damsel stuff that they had in, in Mario and Zelda, so... And I think that's a lot of the reasons why people like Metroid so much, is because it has a strong female protagonist and um, and yeah, it really stands out among the crowd, which is pretty great. So I think we agree that overall Nintendo are doing an okay job, it's pretty good, but there's always room to improve, would you say? I, yeah, I, de- I definitely think so. I think in general, the industry is moving towards a better place with that. You know, you have games like The Walking Dead, which, you know, one of the main characters in that is a 14-year-old girl, and that is like such an uncommon main character for you to play as and yet she is extremely strong very interesting and just has all these aspects to her which make her you know so much more believable and real than than so many other characters in gaming and so many other female characters in gaming and same with the last of us ellie in the last of us is one of the best 
gaming characters that's ever been created and i think that the industry is def- definitely moving you know with narratives and everything in a much better direction so i wouldn't say it's all doom and gloom from that end i think that there are you know good characters being produced everywhere and uh and i think that that is a result of more female writers in games and people being involved in the industry which segues us nicely into the next kind of subtopic here which is uh women in the gaming field you know either journalists or developers and that kind of thing and i guess we can kick this story off with um uh do you want to go with the giant bomb or the hearthstone one first bally i think we'll go with giant bomb okay so recently uh well-known gaming outlet uh review site, uh, whatever you want to call it, personality-based video game journalism website, giantbomb.com, hired two new members to its staff, and both of those were white males, right? Um, So they came under a lot of criticism, particularly from females in the gaming press, for you know, not being diverse and not, you know, taking this opportunity to expand the portfolio of people and perspectives they have on the staff. Uh, and they just went ahead and hired two white males. And particularly, I think, uh, one, uh, you know, game critic or, or writer, I'm not particularly sure what uh, her role is. I but... think she was a blogger. Yeah, Samantha Allen, her name. And uh, and she was raging about it on Twitter. She was getting very angry about all this stuff. And, you know, someone responded to her uh, by saying, what if the person they hired was the best person for the job? And then she replied to that person, go fuck yourself. And as a result, this whole firestorm erupted on Reddit, on NeoGAF, every corner of the internet. And it was a giant mess. Uh, so Bali, uh, what, 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 what can we dig out of this? What, what's your perspective? Okay, here? so who's in the right and who's in the wrong? First of all, all the all those guys giving her abuse, um, totally in the wrong. Completely, um, absolutely, it's just ridiculous. Elements of what she did that are wrong to tell anyone on the internet to go fuck yourself is strong, and you have to. It's, it should only be used as a last resort, about or maybe even not used at all. And that was not an appropriate way to 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 do that. Now, definitely, but I, I think that's definitely an emotionally driven response. Yes, the, the the frustration really that you know. Uh, that's the problem is like the idea of the person who is most able in the job that's a very murky kind of idea i was just about to say that is the this is the crux of the issue is what if they were the best people for the job now jeff kanata had a view on this on his podcast dlc that i was i was quite angry about actually so his view was that um anyone who agrees with the sentiment that this individual made suggesting what if they were the best guy for the job he basically said you guys need to go and rethink about like what you th- what your stance what you think and this kind of thing he didn't say why he didn't yeah. say he didn't say oh it's wrong or it's bad or it's good he just said you guys need to go rethink your stance sort of thing and i think that's what this person said to that blogger is a perfectly legitimate th- argument to make and that's the argument that regardless of background and and different minorities and things like that regardless of those if you think this person is the best person to do your job you should have the right to employ them so 
there's that argument and then obviously there's the flip side of positive discrimination should giant bomb be forcing themselves to employ women in order to come across as more balanced to have to have more ideas within with within their organization or can white males represent females just as well as females Uh, yeah and i don't think that's the case honestly i don't think that you can make the argument that white males can give a perspective, you know, a female perspective, because they just, they aren't, right? <laughs> and and no. it's pretty much impossible. It's a tough one, really, to to kind of dig into. Like, from on one hand, I think, like, it would have been really cool if they'd hired someone, you know, a female writer, because mm-hmm. then you do get, like, different articles being written from different perspectives and I mean, it does depend a lot on their audience as well, right? Like, if their audience is not going to be catered to with that kind of thing, then, you know, it's perfectly within their rights to to not, you know, hire someone who's going to fulfill those needs and bring someone who is more relevant to the role. And I think the thing with Giant Bomb is it's a very personality-driven website, so you really need someone who's able to clash and fit in and be able to go toe-to-toe with people like Jeff Gersman and with Vinnie Caravella and, and be able to, you know, have these conversations. So it, it's I think it's hard to find, um, you know, someone like that do you who, think, who would fit in. Do you think the majority of their conversations, their jokes, their the way about their website is very... They're guy jokes. They're, yeah, they're they are. They're very quite... male centric. Exactly. So, is that a bad thing? Is it? Do they have to change, or do you think that that they're that they're fine just going along the way they're going? I mean, I think that they should at some point try and and be more diverse. But the thing I like about Giant Bomb, especially you know with guys like Patrick Klepek, is they do get a lot of these perspectives. You know, they may not necessarily hire these writers who have, you know, um, different viewpoints, but what they do do is they go out and find them. Like, Patrick interviews a lot of, you know, female in the game industry, like cosplayers and um, uh, female developers and writers and, um, you know, independent game developers, and he brings them on for interviews and he discusses these topics. And you do get that perspective on that site, despite the fact that they don't actually have any females on staff, um, which is great. And I, I think that's a really great aspect of Giant Bomb um, that, you know, they're able to do that. And especially on their live shows, they, they do bring a lot of uh, women on as well. So, I mean, Definitely, I think that they should in the future go down that route and think about it more critically. And I mean, they're very right to be criticized by female journalists because they do have a point. They do um, have you know, a good ground to stand on that, you know, they should be considering, hey, is this really something that we want to do? And like considering what their website wants to be in the future. So, so yeah, it's uh, it's hard to dig into this but I, I mean it's funny i mean i've studied politics um at university and i am fully in favor of positive discrimination when it comes to politics i think it's incredibly important that within democracies those who represent us need to have some diversity um, definitely so especially in the uk our political parties are getting better at more women only shortlists i know this is very controversial and many will disagree with me but i do believe in women only shortlists in some regards and but when it comes to journalism i just there's something about journalism where i feel it's un there's something 
murky and wrong about positive discrimination in journalism for some reason. I don't know why. I think that I think I'm just have this ideal um, situation in my mind where women can write in this just as well as men, and therefore they will get hired. And it's not. It's difficult. I mean. We were talking about Giant Bomb being very guy centric. What if what if a new organization started up and they were very woman centric? Perhaps I mean I'm, I'm sure the internet is kind of I don't know enough about these websites, but surely the internet must be dying for a very woman centric games website. Do you oh, think? I'm sure. That, yeah, yeah, I'm sure that's definitely something that could be a thing in the future. And you know, if not, it is already. There probably are some kind of sites like that, but they're not. Um, that well known, yeah. uh, and just to play devil's advocate, would would those sites should they employ men as well as women? Right, I mean, right. it, it's it's difficult. It's really difficult, and I think it is something that should get easier as more women get into gaming. And one day, that question of maybe they were just hiring the best person for the job, maybe that that will there will be plenty of jobs where women are getting those jobs because they genuinely are the best um, person yeah. for those jobs. Exactly. Um, um, I'm j- I just hope we're, we're, we're at that stage and we're not still waiting on that. And giant, and well, this giant, you would hope, but it's... Uh... We, we hope, and this giant bomb scenario is suggesting that we're not at that stage. And that's frustrating for the industry, I'm sure. Yeah. I mean, it is also the idea that the number of women applying like you would think that there there's probably not a huge number comparative to men applying for a job like that i'm sure the number of women that applied for those roles in giant bomb will be kept under lock and key I, yeah, because I'm sure it will. the amount of controversy it would raise if i mean the bigger the number the worse they look, I guess. Well, it's not necessarily that. It's just the idea that this industry in general is so male-dominated that women, that there aren't enough women coming into it to kind of diversify it. And, I mean, that's been the case for a long time. It's definitely getting better at this point, but there just aren't that many who are going to be applying for that job. It's just a simple case of fact at that point, um, which is a shame, admittedly, but... I mean the vid- the the video game stereotype of it being a male dominated industry is still resonant I guess and it's Yeah it's, despite it... the fact that if you include like mobile gaming it's pretty much 50-50 at this point. Yeah. Um so So yeah um I I think like the last thing to address would be the Hearthstone uh situation whereby um a fin a tournament in Finland uh, a Hearthstone tournament uh, was essentially banning female players um, from competing, and it was a male-only event. And I guess the arguments that they had were that they wanted they wanted to be treated more like an actual sport, where they segregate men and women, you know, like in tennis and in football and all these different sports where there are different, you know, competitions based on gender. Um, and yet... You know, in Hearthstone, they decided, you know, this is going to be the same thing as well, despite the fact that it doesn't necessarily need to be that way, because when it comes to, you know, a game that involves just mental capacity as opposed to physical capacity, there doesn't need to be that discrimination, not discrimination necessarily, but distinction between the two. Mm -hmm. Um, 
And, I, you know, because I understand why they have to split up men and women's tennis, because there is a physical difference. Like, it would be a very difficult thing to have one versus one men versus women tennis matches, because there is just such a, a huge you know biological difference there whereas when it comes down to something that just involves you thinking and using your brain there shouldn't be that divide right and that's why a lot of people are coming uh, against them yeah um, no i agree and i think they basically it wasn't even that they divided between men and women it was that they divided and then they only had a men's tournament yeah they they yeah. didn't even have um a female tournament so it was just now maybe there weren't enough females around to to make a tournament in in and of itself but there was something they they should have just if there was if there was a small group of women who were there and wanted to play and there weren't enough to make their own tournament just bung them in with the guys and just yeah. it would have worked fine so yeah and I, weird. I think this is another kind of systemic problem with the esports scene and trying for the, like trying so desperately to be recognized by major sports outlets as a legitimate kind of sport as it were and to be classified under that bracket and that umbrella i think that was maybe maybe they're kind of innocent intentions if you want to look at it from that perspective they were trying to split things up that way so they could be more well recognized as a sport as opposed to a video game Mm -hmm. but um yeah i i I definitely think that that's just a ridiculous way to look at things and i am not one who agrees with the idea of games being branded as sports you know the idea of the e-sport is a bit bit weird uh honestly so um yeah i i think that that is uh that's I mean, if you're a female fan, definitely write in and tell us what you think about the situation, what we've said about it. Um, do, do there need to be more women in these top gaming jobs? I, yep. I think we'd agree definitely, but how, oh, how, do we, how do we get them there is the question, I guess. That's true, indeed. Um, so yeah, you can you can write those emails, those inflammatory emails. Uh, Your you know, hate mail as well. <laughs> of all of that, you can uh, give that to us. Uh, NYPPQuestions at gmail.com. I'm taking your job away from you, Bally. What am I'm I doing? I'm going to be unemployed, actually. I, I am unemployed. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get there. We'll get there. Uh, regardless, uh, let's tell people how they can find us on the internet if they so wish to. So, Bally, why don't you go ahead? I'm at Ballyman91, that's B-A-L-L-Y-M-A-N-9-1, and that is my name on Twitter, as well as the Meverse, um, which I am on almost every day. <laughs> Twitter is a great place. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Uh, I am at LordMBZ on Twitter, same name of the Meverse, and uh, hey, uh, maybe I'll... Yeah, the thing is, the problem I have is playing Xenoblade. I can't actually post a Miiverse, which is a little bit of a shame. But just go to Twitter, and I'll I'll be typing about it. I I literally took a picture on my phone of a screen on Mario Galaxy Two and tweeted it because I couldn't <laughs> post on Miiverse. Yeah. So all you lucky people following me on Twitter, that's that's what you get. Lovely, fantastic phone screenshots from Bali. He. Uh... <laughs> Only I'll, I'll have to give you quality. some from Metroid Prime now to match Oh, definitely. It. Be excited about that. So uh, that's it. That's going to close out our show. You can, of course, review us on iTunes, where we have a home on the uh, that store. And um, we would appreciate it if you gave us uh, some reviews and uh, we could read them out on the next show uh, if we get some new ones. So go ahead and do that. And, uh, and we are looking forward to those. Um, 
That's uh, I guess that's pretty much it. Any last words here, Bali? You want a wonga chimichanga? And uh, and, with and that, on that note, and on that bombshell, uh, we'll see you guys next time. Goodbye. Bye. I have something very important to tell you. Okay. You wanna one get Bertie! The second I said that. I know that he wants to one get some chimichanga. Bertie wants to wanna one get chimichanga. Every time I say chimichanga, he looks at me like. Oh no. He knows what it is. So the, the next question is from Carl White. Dear MBZ and Bally, I would like to start off by asking whether or not you think there will be. Oh, lost my breath there. Whether or not you think there will be more characters revealed in the upcoming Smash Brothers. If so, would you like to see... Who, right, who... Start again. Just start again. <laughs> let's, just, let's just scrap this. Let's just go back to the beginning. Let's rewind. Here we go. Prince of, it's Prince of Persia, this shit. So right, we've go. got... <laughs>